0: Have you ever noticed, ever watched a young couple in love? You know, it's, sometimes it's just so evident that they love one another and, and they, they've, they're so close to one another and it's really kind of fun sometimes just to watch their eye contact. Sometimes they can communicate without saying a word and, and how that they hug one another and touch one another and look at one another and... Sometimes when they're thinking about going out on a date, so where where do you want to go tonight? Oh, it it really doesn't matter, so long as I get to be with you. Maybe you can remember those days. Hopefully you still have some of those days. Lisa and I, on Saturday, will be celebrating the 40th anniversary of our first date. I started dating her when I was five, by the way. I, I found out later that After our dates, Lisa would go back to her dorm room, and she would write on, she had a big desk calendar, and she would write on her desk calendar, I got to go to Keith's softball game, or went out to eat with Keith at Sambo's, or spent the day at the lake with Keith. And you need to understand, it wasn't the destination that made that day special, it wasn't the activity that made that day special, it was simply the fact that we enjoyed being with each other. And we still do. We really enjoy being with each other. I'd like to lift that today to, to a higher plane. Do you know what it's like to enjoy being in the presence of God? I want to ask you that one more time over in the life center. I want to ask you that question. Do you know what it's like to enjoy being in the presence of God? You say, "Well, Pastor, what does that even mean, and how does that work, and?" Is it even possible to really enjoy the presence of God? Well, today and next Sunday, that's what I want to talk about, a short series called In His Presence. See, I recognize that for some of you, 2019 was perhaps the best year of your life. Some amazing things happened in in your home and in your family and in your life in 2019. And then for some of you, it was probably the worst year of your life. As we start a new year, and as we start a new decade, the fact of the matter is, really 2020 is going to be a lot like 2019. In a congregation like this, multiple services, different ages and stages of life, it's just the matter of fact that... In a group like this, some of you this year are going to experience amazing victories and blessings, and it's just going to be an incredible year for you. You're going to go to some places and do some things and have some experiences, and maybe a baby will be born or a grandbaby, and, and 2020 is just going to be a fantastic year for you. But for some of you, 2020 is going to be a year of challenge, and maybe it already is. Maybe you've already gone through some of those challenges. And it could be 2020 will be the hardest year of your life. And for some of you, it may even be your last. It's interesting, when I open my Bible, I find out that the hardest year of Jesus' life was his last. And in John chapter 16, he talked about how he got through that time. Would you open God's word with me to John chapter 16? John chapter 16. I want to give you the context before we read what Jesus said towards the end of the chapter. Just to give you the context, this was the last night of Jesus' earthly ministry. You might want to note that in John chapters 13 through 18... John 13 through 18, that is a record of what occurred on the last night of Jesus' earthly life. All of those chapters dedicated to the final night that Jesus had with his disciples. And on that final night, he was basically in two places. He was in the upper room, and then they walked across the Kidron Valley to the Garden of Gethsemane. That's where everything occurred in John chapter 13. Through 18. He had a lot to tell them that evening. He had a lot to say to them. But one thing that he said to them was very important and very personal. And it occurred as they left the the upper room, walked across the Kidron Valley, going over to the Garden of Gethsemane. On the way to the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said something to his disciples that was very personal, very powerful. Very important. Here's what he said, beginning in verse 28. John chapter 16, verse 28. Jesus says to his disciples, I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I'm leaving the world, going back to the Father. Then Jesus' disciples said, Now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Verse 31, you believe at last, Jesus answered. Now, verse 32, keep in mind this was on the last night with his disciples. This is what he said, verse 32. I have told you, I'm sorry, verse 32, but a time is coming and has come when you will be scattered each to his own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. If you have your pen or pencil handy, would you underline or if you have a marker, would you highlight these words, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. On his last night with his disciples, he tells them, a time is coming and has now come when every one of you will leave me. You will walk away from me. You will be scattered and you will go back back to your own homes. You will turn your back on me and go back home. A time is coming and has now come when I will be alone because you will leave me. But then he says those powerful words Yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. In the hardest time of his life, Jesus relied on the presence of God, and so can you in 2020. Has someone left you? Someone turned their back on you? Have you had to say goodbye to a relationship? Has death invaded your family circle and broken your heart? I want to remind you this morning that even in the hardest times of life, Jesus said, yet I am not alone, for my heavenly Father is with me. And that's true for you too. Listen to me, church. The great passion of God's heart is to dwell with His people. It's the predominant theme of the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, one of the predominant themes of the Bible is God's presence with His people. In fact, take your pen and get ready to mark some notes down. Let me just walk through the Bible with you very quickly and help you understand that this predominant theme goes throughout the Bible of God's presence with His people. The first record of man experiencing the presence of God, of course, is in the Garden of Eden. Genesis 3.8 says, And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and Eve hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. And then when you continue walking through the Bible and reading the biblical story, you'll see that the presence of God was displayed at first the tabernacle, and then later the temple. Now, the tabernacle was not a place of worship. The tabernacle was a place where God met with his people. In fact, the tabernacle was originally called the tent of meeting. Exodus 29.45 says, Then I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. He's talking about tabernacling, dwelling with his people, the tent of meeting. And then once they settled in the promised land, and Jerusalem became their, their capital, they no longer had a tabernacle moving from place to place with God's presence. Then they built the temple of God, the place that represented God's presence on earth. First Kings 18 says, the glory of the Lord filled his temple, that God dwelt on earth. His presence was there in the temple of God. Then after a period of time, Jesus came onto the scene. And we see the presence of God in the form of Jesus. In fact, John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and made its dwelling among us. Matthew one twenty three says, They will call Him Emmanuel, which means, say it with me, which means God with us. Jesus was God in flesh. Jesus was God present in our world. And then when Jesus left, he said, before I leave, I need you to understand something. When I leave, I will send the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, who will dwell in you, live in you forever. John fourteen sixteen. Ladies and gentlemen, one of the dominant themes of the Bible is the presence of God in our world and the presence of God in our lives. Now, get your pen ready. I want to give you two important things to write down. When the Bible speaks of God's presence, it speaks of God's presence in two different ways. Write this down if you're taking notes. When the Bible speaks of God's presence, it speaks of it in two different ways. First of all, the Bible speaks of God's omnipresence. Say that word with me God's omnipresence. It simply means that God is present everywhere. God's omnipresence. That is, wherever you are, God is there. We cannot escape or get away from the presence of God, even if we wanted to. I mean, just ask Jonah. He understood better than anybody the omnipresence of God. That wherever you go, God is there. You cannot get away from God. God is Everywhere. That is the omnipresence of God. That's why Paul said to the Athenians in Acts chapter 17, God is not far from any one of us, for in Him we live and move and have our being. I want you to know, ladies and gentlemen, regardless of whether or not you know the Lord God as your personal Savior, God is everywhere. The reality is, regardless of the day, regardless of the place, regardless of the circumstances... God is always present with us. David understood this. David said in Psalm 139, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. And if I make my bed in the depths, you are there. David understood. There's nowhere you can go that God's not already there. That's the omnipresence of God. But now listen to me. The Bible also speaks about God's manifest presence. It's the second way it refers to God's presence. The omnipresence of God, God's everywhere. But it also speaks about God's manifest presence. And here's what I mean by that. God at times reveals His presence and His power to us in a special way. God at times makes Himself Known to us. God is always there, but His manifest presence means that God sometimes makes Himself known to us in a powerful way. The God we can't see becomes more seeable. You see, there's a difference between saying God is everywhere and saying God is here. I'll give you an example Moses. Because of the omnipresence of God, regardless of where Moses was, God was always there. God was always present. But at the burning bush, God manifested his presence in a powerful way. So think of God's presence in, in those two terms, in those two ways. The manifest presence of God is, is that God sometimes demonstrates, reveals to us his divine presence. In our lives. The uh, patriarch Jacob said, he said he had a vision and he woke up and he said, surely the Lord was in this place and I didn't know it. This is where, though, we sometimes come to a fork in the road, isn't it? Listen carefully. It's one thing for me to get up here and talk about all of this. But this is sometimes where we come to a fork in the road. Because theologically, we know that God is everywhere. Theologically, we know that God is present with us. Theologically, we know all of that. But honestly, some of you would say, but I haven't seen him lately. My guess, some of you have grappled with what seems like God's absence. I mean, theologically, you know that God's present. Theologically, you know about the manifest presence of God, that sometimes he really reveals himself in a powerful way. But practically and honestly, you would have to say, but I honestly haven't seen much of him lately. There's a book Ron Dunn wrote wrote called When Heaven is Silent. And in the book he writes, and I quote, Israel was constantly grappling with the problem of God's presence and absence. One moment he would be powerfully present, and at another, absent and hidden. Some of you perhaps know what that feels like. Do you sometimes find it hard to believe that God is with you? you find it sometimes hard to believe as you look at your circumstances, as you look at what you're going through, as you look at what your family is enduring, as you look at your place and, and the situation you're facing, do you find it sometimes hard to believe that God is with you? I mean, does it doesn't look like He's with you. It certainly doesn't feel like He's with you. If you've ever felt that, if you've ever wondered that, if you've ever thought that, you need to read the story of Joseph. It's found in Acts 7. If you want to put your finger in John 16, we're going to come back to that text at the end of the message. Go over to the right and find Acts chapter 7. I want to show you something about the story of Joseph. Joseph, Acts chapter 7. Stephen, in Acts chapter 7, is speaking to the Sanhedrin, and he's walking through the story of the Old Testament. And as he walks through the story of the Old Testament, one of the people he talks about is Joseph. And he says in verse 9, "'Because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him as a slave into Egypt, but God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles.'" Now, in my Bible, you might want to do it in your Bible. In my Bible, I highlighted, but God was with him. Now, read the text again. Over the Life Center, read this text again. Read it slowly. Read it carefully. Read it thoughtfully. Look what he says. Because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him as a slave into Egypt. Pause right there for a moment. If you were Joseph and you were, you were walking or riding across the desert, towards Egypt, as a slave, and your brothers had sold you into slavery, if you were Joseph and somebody came up to you at that moment and said, Hey, Joseph, don't forget, God's with you. Would it feel like it? Would it look like it? Absolutely not. It wouldn't feel like God was with me. It would feel like God has abandoned me. It wouldn't look like God was with me. It would look like God has left me. God has abandoned me. Why am I being sold into slavery? This doesn't make sense. Why is this happening to me? This doesn't make sense. Why has God forgotten me? And yet, here's what we read. Look at it again. Because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him as a slave into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him from all of his troubles. Everybody look up here for a minute. Over the last I'm going to tell you something. I would rather God rescue me before the trouble. How about you? Huh? Come on, can you be honest with me? I'd rather God keep me out of the caravan going to Egypt rather than rescue me in the midst of it. And if you understand that, if you say, yes, I identify with that, Then you also need to go with me to the Old Testament to another story I want to show you. It's in the book of Judges. Go back to the book of Judges in the Old Testament. Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. Verse 12. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is what, church? Have you found it yet? The Lord is what? With you, mighty warrior. Now let me give you the context. The Midianites were coming in and, and destroying the crops of, of God's people. And, and every year they'd come in at harvest time and take the crops and destroy everything around them and, and just leave them impoverished. And, and Gideon is hiding and he's trying to thresh this wheat and he's trying to save what little bit of food he can for his family. And in the midst of hiding from the Midianites, the angel of God appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior." To which Gideon said, great. That's not what he said. Verse 13. But sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened to us? Where are his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has, what's that next word? He has what? Abandoned us. Put us into the hand of Midian interesting, if the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened to us? Gideon asked that question a couple of thousand years ago, and we've been asking it ever since. Haven't we all asked that question secretly? And perhaps some of you have asked it out loud, especially in times of suffering, times of confusion. See, the the Israelites were disheartened by the Midianites' continual oppression. To many, like Gideon, these hardships did not make sense if God truly is God and if He truly did love His people and if He really is with them. They had heard the stories about what God did in the past. They had heard the stories about God's power. They had heard the stories that God's presence was sometimes displayed in miraculous ways. But as they looked at their circumstances, as they looked at their life, they they doubted his presence. That's why Gideon asked the question, a very valid question that he asked. If the Lord is with us, why has this happened to us? As Gideon looked at his life, as he looked at his family, as he looked at his circumstances, Gideon saw no evidence that God was there or that God cared. I'm going to give you a principle to remember. Here's the first thing I want you to write down, kind of the the, the main point of the message, if you will. Write this down. Remember this principle. The presence of God does not equal the absence of problems. Write that down. Put that over in the Life Center. Put that out on social media. Write it on a three-by-five card. Put it on your phone. Keep it in your Bible. You need to be reminded the presence of God does not equal the absence of problems. In fact, it could be just the opposite. God sometimes reveals his presence and his power in the midst of the problems. I know you're looking at a lot of scripture today, but these are some powerful words. I want you to find the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, chapter 57. Go ahead and try to find that book quickly, Isaiah chapter 57. I want to teach you a lesson from Isaiah 57 that, I, that will help you understand this concept of God's presence with us even in the midst of difficult circumstances. Isaiah 57 <clears throat> verse 15. For this is what the high and lofty one says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy. Here's what he says. I live in a high and holy place. Then I want you to notice the next two words. I want you to put a box around those next two words or underline them. But also, those are strategic words in that verse, but also. Here's what he says, I live in a high and holy place, but also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. This verse speaks both about the transcendence of God and the eminence of God. I know those are two big words, but let me explain these theological words to you, and I think it might help you understand what some of you are going through. Two big theological words that that are displayed in this text. First of all, this verse shows us that God is transcendent. That word transcendent simply means outside and above His creation. Outside and above His creation. In other words, God is much greater than you and I could ever imagine. Would you agree with that? God is much greater, much powerful, much greater than we could ever imagine. Or to put it in a very simple way, God is different from us. Look what it says in the first half of the verse. He says, I live in a high and holy place. And look how he is described at the first part of verse 15. This is what the high and lofty one says. He who lives forever and whose name is holy I live in a high and holy place. Listen, God is outside and above creation, and His power is so much greater than ours, we can't even imagine how great God is because He is higher and holier than we are. And God's people would say, He's outside of and greater than His creation. That's transcendence of God. But, But listen to me. I like the fact that He is higher and holier than me because it reminds me that someone greater than me is watching over me. So, first of all, you need to understand that that God is transcendent. He is outside and above His creation. I live in a high and holy place. But then we also see that God is imminent because He says, but also... Not only do I live in a high and holy place, but also with Him. With Him. That's God's presence. But also with Him who is contrite and lowly in spirit. God is imminent. And the word imminent means that God is simply present. He's here, He's accessible, He's available a beautiful thing when you think about it, that God is transcendent. He is above and beyond His creation, but He also is imminent. He's present. He's here. He's accessible. He's available. Let me tell you what that means for you in 2020. If it feels like God has been absent from your life lately, it doesn't have to stay that way. He says, I also live, watch this, I also live with those who are contrite and lowly in spirit. To revive the spirit of the lowly, that's some of you. And to revive the heart of the contrite. You need God to revive you, don't you? You need God to do what only he can do. If it feels like God is absent, it doesn't have to stay that way. Michael Horton, listen to him over the Life Center, hear this. Michael Horton is a professor of theology at Westminster Seminary in California. And in a recent interview, he, he was asked a key question, or he asked a key question. He said, is God a supporting character in my life movie, or am I coming to church to hear how he has made a place for me in his? Is God a supporting character in my life movie, or, am I coming to church to hear how He has made a place for me in His? It's a powerful statement. Now, I want to close by going back to John chapter 16 and show you that God has a place for you in the, in the movie He's making. John chapter 16, let's return to our original text. We've learned two big theological words, the word transcendent and eminence. I want to show you those same two words in this text. John chapter 16, verse 28. Jesus said, I came from the Father and entered the world. Would you notice how Jesus indicated that God is the high and holy one, the lofty one, and Jesus as well, he said, I was outside the world, this world that you're living in, I came from outside this world. That is, he's transcendent. Look how he describes it. As I came from God, verse 27, I came from the Father, or verse 28, I came from the Father and entered the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father. God is transcendent. But then he says in verse 32, But a time is coming, and now has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone. For my Father is with me. God is imminent. He's right here, right now, with you. Some of you need to realize that you're never alone. You might want to make this statement of Jesus your statement of faith. Yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. Some of you need to put that on your phone, and you need to be reminded of it every week, every day this week. Yet I am not alone. My Father is with me. Some of you need need to make that your daily prayer. God, remind me that regardless of what I'm going through right now, regardless of how frustrated the circumstances are, remind me, dear God, today that yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. Isn't that what David meant when he said in, in Psalm 23, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. It's an amazing thing when you think about it. This God that is transcendent outside of our world, larger and greater than we could ever imagine, is also imminent. He's right here, right now, with us. See, regardless of the problem, regardless of the place, regardless of the circumstance. You need to make this your prayer this week. Yet, I am not alone. For my Father is with me. I want to bow your head for a moment. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want to invite you do something a little different today as we sing this final song I'm going to invite you if you say pastor I I really would appreciate you praying for me because right now man there's some things in my life some needs in my life a struggle in my life a problem in my life an issue in my life or in my family I need to be reminded that yet I am not alone for my father is with me pastor would you pray for me I'm going to ask you here in this building, just to come and stand right here in front of me. and just a moment, I'm going to pray over you. And over the Life Center, I'm going to ask you to have the courage just to stand up. Just to stand up. And let me pray over you. Just right where you are, just stand up over the Life Center. Just pray right right now, just stand up. And for those of you who are in this building, I'm going to ask you to, in just a second, we're going to stand and I want you to come forward real quickly. We're only going to sing one stanza. I want you to come stand right here and let me just pray over you. I've got no magical prayers, but as your pastor, I just want to pray over you that that God's presence will become real in your life this week.